Hey, here's something kind of crazy. Have you ever thought about your own funeral? Not trying to be morbid, but I think there's some power to that. Like beginning with the end of mine really should start with the end of our life. And I think there's some power to envisioning our own funeral, thinking about what we want people to be saying at that funeral about us, and then examining our present life and raising the question of, am I living in such a way that what I want people to think about me and say about me at my funeral would actually be a reality? Because I don't think any single one of us wants to get to the end of our life and feel like, man, I wasted it. My life really didn't count for much. And that's what I want us to wrestle with on this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and this is the Bible in Life podcast, where we like to give what I call blue jeans theology. That is theology for everyday life in the language of everyday life so that we can be better followers of Jesus. Thanks for spending some time with me on the podcast. Now let's jump right into it. You know, one of the most distinctive things about human beings is that we, we're on a quest for meaning. Like humans don't do well if they feel like their life doesn't matter, right? Like we, what's the point of it all? Why am I here? What's life all about? Is there meaning to my existence? And uh, that stands out really from all the other creatures in the world. We, we want our life to matter. We want our life to count. And when we're young, we think we have all this time and we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and it's right. And, and yet, the longer we live, we realize how fast life actually goes. In fact, when I was teaching at the college, I would uh, regularly in one of my classes talking about life and life management and time management, some of that sort of stuff, I would regularly tell the students, look, let's say you're 20 years old. And maybe you're going to make it to 80 years old. Let's say you make it to 80 years old. Doesn't that sound like old, right? A long ways off. And yet, if you're 20 years old, you're already 25% of the way done. Like, you just moved out of the house. You're just in college. You barely have even started your own life. And you're 25% of the way done. Life is much shorter than we realize. And because... We're, as human beings, we're in search of meaning. We want our life to count. Man, we, it's not like we have tons of time to figure that out. And that's why I think thinking about your own funeral can be so powerful. It puts things in perspectives and help us realize, where, where do I want to be going? Um, what do I want people to say about me? And yeah, the, the details may change, but are there themes? Are there ambitions? Are there objectives that you think, these are things that I think are important and I want to be aiming in this direction so that should I die, this is the kind of thing people would say about me, right? So how can you and how can I live in such a way that our life actually makes a difference, that our life actually counts for something. It's really the question of impact. How can we live in such a way that our life has an impact? There's an interesting little passage in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, where Paul really does something unusual, something that he doesn't do in uh, most of his other letters, really probably no other letter, Paul stops in the middle of the book and he actually gives his travel plans. And the reason for that is because he wants to hold up two people as concrete examples of us, of the kind of life we should live as followers of Jesus. 
not so much in the details of their life, because the details between these two guys is very different, but the heart set of our life, the kind of life that we live that actually counts for something. And so he holds Timothy and Epaphroditus up as examples to us, as concrete models of living for Jesus, living for the gospel in this world as it now is. And to fully appreciate the message of this little section here in Philippians 2, we really need to know the backstory a little bit of the letter, all right? If you want to check out all the exegetical details to Philippians and more details on this particular passage we're going to look at here in a second, you can actually check out the listener's commentary on the book of Philippians. I have a whole commentary, audio commentary on the book of Philippians there. I'll actually put a link to that down in the notes below. So if you want to study the book of Philippians in detail and you want to hear me kind of walk you through the book chunk by chunk and teach you the book, check out the listener's commentary on Philippians. But in brief, Here's the backstory that lies behind the letter to the Philippians and that we really need to have in mind in order for us to make sense out of this passage out of Philippians chapter 2. Paul, at this point when writing the letter, it's probably about the year 61 or 62. Paul's been in ministry for roughly 20 plus years, preaching and teaching and planting churches around the Mediterranean world. And at this point, Paul is under arrest in Rome. And the church at Philippi is a church that he planted roughly 10 years prior to this. And so it's been 10 years since he started the church in Philippi. So the church is established, but still fairly young. And there's been a really, really close uh, relationship between Paul and the church at Philippi. There's been a lot of warmth and affection in that relationship. They've sent him money on uh, a number of occasions to help fund and support his ministry. And maybe it's been a few years since they've done that. Um, and at this point, Paul has been sitting in prison or arrest of various kinds for four years, two of those years in Caesarea in Israel, and now almost two years here in Rome. And so it's been a number of years, and somehow word has gotten to the Philippians that Paul's in need, and he could really use some support, and they decide to take up an offering to support the Apostle Paul. And the reason for that is because in the Roman legal system, justice system, a prisoner such as Paul under house arrest still had to pay for his own room and board. He had to pay for his own food. He had to pay his own rent, but he couldn't work because he's under arrest. And so he was completely dependent really on the generosity and support of his friends just to be able to pay for his food and his rent and make ends meet. Um, well, the Philippians have heard about Paul's situation, and so they have decided to take up an offering and send money to Paul. And so they collect up some money, and they need somebody to deliver that money to Paul, who's in prison 800 miles away from them. And so a man named Epaphroditus raises his hand and says he'll be the one that'll deliver the money. And so the church arranges all the details, and they send Epaphroditus off over land and sea in order to deliver the money, their gift, to the Apostle Paul. Somewhere along the line, whether on the way or shortly after he arrived in Rome, we're not sure, somewhere along the way, Epaphroditus got sick, very sick, so sick, he almost died, Paul says. And Paul's like, oh man, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow for that. And word somehow had gotten back to Philippi that uh, their their church member and friend and messenger to Paul 
um, Epaphroditus had gotten sick and almost died. So they've been worried about Epaphroditus. Paul was worried about Epaphroditus. Uh, and yet God spared Epaphroditus and he lived. And so that's all lying behind this text. And and so there's been this connection between Paul and the Philippian church. This money now has been received by Paul. Epaphroditus is better. And Paul's like, okay, all right, we, we need to sort some things out here. And so let's read what Paul says about Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul's travel plans and how that has, I think, a powerful example to us of the kind of life we should live if we actually want our life to count for something. Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 19, Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. So Paul's like, when I get a chance, pretty soon, I'm hoping to send Timothy to you, so that uh, he can check on you, he can encourage you, he can build you up in the faith, he can report back to me how you guys are doing. So I'm hoping to send him to you soon. Um, Paul then says this about Timothy, for I have no one like him. In other words, there, there's no one really like Timothy who will be, he says, genuinely concerned for your welfare. Like Timothy stands out among all the other people Paul can think of because he genuinely cares about the people there in Philippi. He will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For he says in verse 21, for they all, anyone else he can think of, they all think after their own interests. But not Timothy. Not Timothy. He thinks after the interest of Jesus. In other words, Timothy cares for you on behalf of Jesus. Timothy cares for you for the sake of Jesus. And the reality is, they know Timothy. They've met Timothy. Timothy was there when Paul started the church. They have a real relationship with him. He, they, they can see his face. They can see his eyes. They know the color of his hair. They can hear the tone of his voice. They know Timothy. And so Paul writes this in verse 22. He says, but you know Timothy. You know him. You know his proven worth, how he has served with me like a son to the father in the furtherance of the gospel. It's like you can picture him and you know what he's like and you know how he has laid down his life with me for your benefit for the sake of the gospel. And so uh, Paul says, when I get a chance, as soon as, as possible, I'm going to send Timothy to you um, so that he can check in on you and help you out. He says in verse 23, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. So Paul, Paul is holding up on sem sending Timothy until he, he can actually give a little better, more definitive news report on how his trial is going to turn out. He's waiting for trial under arrest in Rome, and he's like, as soon as I get things figured out, know a few more details, I'm going to send Timothy to you and so that he can check on you. I can be encouraged. You can have news of me and all of that. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come too. Paul is saying, optimistically, I hope that I'll be released from prison. I'll be able to come and visit you guys as well. All right. So here we have Timothy, the first example to us. What does it look like? to live a life that matters, a life that counts? Well, it looks like Timothy, who served as a son to a father with Paul in the gospel. It looks like Timothy, who's genuinely concerned for other people's welfare on behalf of Jesus. That's who Timothy is. Timothy's a young man who actually really cares for people, and he does so because he cares about Jesus. He, he's willing to lay down his life for the sake of others on behalf of Jesus. That's Timothy. Now, 
Paul goes on and mentions the second fellow, Epaphroditus. And remember, Epaphroditus is the guy who uh, is a member of the church at Philippi who carried the money from the church as a gift to the Apostle Paul who got sick and almost died. Here's what Paul says. Now, he, he says, since I'm going to hold off on sending Timothy, I wanted to send somebody else to you. I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. That seems like the best course of action. In fact, what we, we as we piece things together, Paul's going to send Epaphroditus back. Epaphroditus is going to be the mailman. He's now going to deliver the letter, what we call Philippians, right? He's going to literally, uh, deliver the letter of Philippians to the church from Paul when he returns. And It'll uh, address some issues that are going on in the church and all that, and then Epaphroditus can return home. And so this is what he says about Epaphroditus in verse 25. He says, Now, I thought it necessary to send uh, to you Epaphroditus. And listen to how Paul describes Epaphroditus. My brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier. Like, here's Epaphroditus, a member of their church. Um, and what he has done is he's delivered he has delivered the gift from the Philippians to Paul, and now he's delivering the letter from Paul back to the Philippians, and yet Paul describes him with this, these, this really honoring titles, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. In fact, the word messenger is actually the word apostolos, apostle in Greek. He's, he's like, you're apostle to me. He's your official representative who has come and served me and met my need because of your generosity. So here's Epaphroditus. I'm sending him back to you, he says. Listen to what he says. For he has been longing for you. Uh, he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So somehow word had gotten back to the Philippians that Epaphroditus was sick. Word had gotten back to Epaphroditus. The word had gotten back to the Philippians. Epaphroditus is concerned because the Philippians are concerned. And so there's all this mutual concern going on. Paul goes on and says, indeed, he was ill. He was sick, near to death, to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul is like, man, if he had died, it would have broken my heart. I would have been so sad. That would have been awful. So I'm so grateful he didn't die. Um, and I know you're grateful he didn't die. Listen to what he says in verse 28. He says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again and be less anxious. So that you won't be as concerned. He won't be as concerned. All of us won't be as concerned. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy, and catch this, and honor such men as him. Honor people like Epaphroditus. Hold them up. Hold them in esteem. Treat them and welcome them with honor. Why? Well, this is what he says. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, literally gambling with his life, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Honor Epaphroditus because he nearly died for the work of Christ. What did Epaphroditus do? Epaphroditus, what he did was he delivered a gift from the Philippians to Paul. And Paul calls that the work of Christ. That's the service or the work of Jesus by delivering that gift. And it's such a big deal because in, in doing that, he risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so honor him. Notice what, what we have here with Timothy and Epaphroditus. We have two men 
who in two very different ways, Paul would say they've given their life to, the, to serve others for the sake of Christ. They, they have served other people for the sake of Jesus. Timothy, as a co-worker in Paul's ministry, who is preaching and teaching and making disciples and helping people learn the way of Jesus, Epaphroditus as essentially a delivery man who's delivering a gift from the Philippians. And both of them are, are laying down their lives for the sake of others on behalf of Jesus. I think that's instructive to us. That's the message for us. That's the whole reason, in fact, I think Paul stops in the middle of the letter here. Like Paul could have saved his, his uh, travel plans to the end, but he wants to hold up Timothy and Epaphroditus for the Philippians and for us as concrete patterns of a life well lived. And how did they do it? Well, they did it by serving others on behalf of Jesus, being genuinely concerned for the welfare of others on behalf of Jesus in, in just concrete ways with their opportunities, their skills, their abilities. They served others and thus they served Jesus in that way. They are living, breathing embodiments of what Paul called the entire Philippian church to just a paragraph or two earlier in Philippians chapter 2. At the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, consider one another more important than yourself. And then Paul lays out the primary, ultimate example of that kind of living, the example of Jesus himself. He says in Philippians 2.5, have this mindset in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the very form of God, he had whatever makes God, God, Jesus had that. He existed in the very form of God. He did not regard equality with God, something to be clung to and used for his own advantage. He didn't try to advance his own reputation, advance his own agenda, right? Like promote himself and make himself great. He didn't uh, use his equality with God for his own advantage and for his own gain. Instead, he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, Paul says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And not just any death, but a shameful, dishonoring criminal's death, death on a cross. Well, that's the ultimate example of this uh, serving others for the sake of Jesus, right? That's the, this ultimate example of a life well lived. And, and Paul wants to provide more concrete down-to-earth examples. Two people that the Philippians know. They know Timothy. They know Epaphroditus. And, and Paul holds them up and says, guess what? They're embodying that very spirit of Jesus. They're living a cross-shaped life like, like Jesus did. They're laying down their life for the sake of others in whatever way they can like Jesus did. And Paul holds them up as an example to the Philippians and us because that's, as followers of Jesus, that's how we should live. That's how we should live. We should serve others for the sake of Jesus. And I'm sure there's probably people in your life that you know like that. For me, one of the uh, paramount examples in my very early life was a man by the name of Bill Wingard. Most people have never heard of Bill Wingard. And yet I, in a lot of ways, was, uh, would not be where I am and who I am without him. Uh, when I was a, 
a, a young teenager, 13, 14 years old, eighth and ninth grade-ish, right in that time period, um, Bill Wingard took myself and my brother under his wing. Um, we didn't have a dad. Our dad left when we were young. Bill, as a follower of Jesus and recognizing the importance of a father figure in uh, a young man's life, took my brother and I under his wing, and he would take us uh, boating on Puget Sound, or he would take us out to his property, and uh, we would uh, help him cut down trees and stack stack wood that uh, he would use for um, building a fire in their fireplace and heating their house, and we spent multiple weekends over a couple year period with Bill Wingard. And I would say this, that Bill Wingard in a lot of ways was the the first man I ever saw to genuinely model for me what it looked like to follow Jesus. It's not like he preached to me, right? Um, Occasionally when we were out on weekends, well, pretty regularly, actually, if we were going to be out on a Sunday, we would open the Bible, we would read a passage of Scripture, we would pray together, we would take communion together if we were going to be uh, out over a Sunday and miss church. And so I watched him follow Jesus. I heard him pray. Um, I heard him encourage us to be followers of Jesus by his the simple example of his life. And so by the generosity of his life, taking two young boys under his wing and just living out his own following of Jesus in front of us, he deeply influenced my life. And um, over the course of the years, right, I, that was eighth and ninth grade, I, I bumped into him again when I was in college. My family uh, switched churches after ninth grade, and so I didn't see him regularly. I bumped into him again once when I was in college. And then when I was in graduate school, I was probably by this point about 23, 24 years old, and uh, it had been almost a decade since those regular weekends with Bill Wingard. I thought, I really need to let him know what a difference he made in my life and where I'm at, that I'm in grad school studying theology so that I can serve Jesus with my life. And he was really, in a lot of ways, the beginning of that. And so I, I wrote a letter, old school letter. This is before email. I actually wrote an actual letter, mailed it to him. Um, and and then a short time later, I actually got a letter back from Bill Wingard. Remember, this is a decade since he he spent all that time with my brother and I. I got this letter back from him, and this is what he said in the letter. I pray for you at least every single Friday. He had me on his prayer list for Fridays, and he would pray for me at least every Friday, sometimes more. That That's a being genuinely concerned for your welfare for the sake of Jesus. Like Timothy, that's a simple, concrete way of serving others in Jesus' name. He he took two young boys under his wing and then didn't forget about them in the years ahead, but continued to pray for us. And who knows the difference that was made in my life? Who, who knows the impact that had in my life? Because Bill took the time not only to care for me when I was a teenager, but pray for me for years to come. And that ultimately, I think, is the message of Philippians 2, 19 through 30. It's be like Timothy, be like Epaphroditus, be like Bill Wingard, and in whatever simple, daily, concrete ways you can, serve others for the sake of Jesus. And so, who are the people in your life that you can love and lay down your life for, uh, like Jesus laid down his life for you? Who are the people in your life you can serve in whatever simple ways, whatever concrete opportunities you're given? How can you serve others for the sake of Jesus? If you do that, you'll get to the end of your life with fewer regrets. In fact, um, hospice nurses have uh, 
written several blog posts and articles, and some even have written books about what they've learned from their patients as they neared their final days of their life, hospice nurses spending those days and weeks with them. And there's really repeated uh, themes that show up from hospice nurses as people get to the end of their life. And I, I wish I would have allowed myself to enjoy life more and not worry about so many small things, right? Things like that. Um, I, I wish I would have been a better husband or a better wife, a better uh, child, uh, you know, or a better son, better daughter, better sibling. I wish I would have done that. These kinds of themes show up regularly. Two of the things that show up regularly are this. I wish I would have found more meaningful work to do work that would have been more satisfying to my soul, work that would have been better for other people. And then the other one is, I wish I would have done more to help other people. In fact, hospice nurses say, I, I have, they say this on a regular basis, I have had patients there in their final weeks decide, you know what? I'm going to live, I'm going to leave X amount of dollars, or I'm going to leave all my property, or I'm going to whatever, to this uh, charity, this organization, this church, right, that serves people and cares for people. Right there in their final weeks, they're like, all right, I didn't do a very good job of serving people during my life, but that's a big deal. Like, wired into the human soul is this loving other people and serving other people. And so there in their final days, they do it. Well, wouldn't it be great? if we would start that today. Wouldn't that be great if you would start that right now? Like Timothy, like Epaphroditus. Doesn't have to be some big glorious ministry. Doesn't have to be some giant sacrifice for the sake of Jesus. In fact, it's way too easy to love, you know, some in some big grandiose way in our own mind. And it's a whole lot more mundane and a whole lot harder just to love the people in our life on a daily basis, to serve the people and to lay down our life for people however we can, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our extended family, just to lay down our life for the people that the Lord has brought our way in some concrete way um, today, right now, on behalf of Jesus. And so, uh, be like Timothy, be like Epaphroditus, be like Bill Wingard, and serve others for the sake of Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. As always, uh, I want to say thank you to those of you who make this ministry possible by your faithful support. Um, I literally could not do this without you, so thanks a ton. If you have not join the team of supporters, but you want to do so, you can do that either through my Patreon page, where there's some uh, perks and some benefits for you, like if you give a certain level, you get uh, discounted access or even free access to some of my online courses, so you have that option there on Patreon, or you can donate through World Family Mission. I'll put both those links down below, and uh, you can join the team and help continue to spread the good news of Jesus through this, this format by your generosity. Hey, thanks again for being a part of the Bible and Life family. Thanks again for tuning in and spending some time with me here on this episode. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again next week.